to glory land. It won't be long until I take the hand of Jesus Christ with a great big smile. We sit right down and talk a while. Charles Watson was born again on May 23, 1975, at the California Men's Colony. His transformation can best be described as amazing grace. Here's one of his messages from his early years of ministry. Until I see the man, the Prince of Peace. We're going to go into a sermon title called Characteristics of Christianity. Characteristics of Christianity, or we could say born-again characteristics. I think this is a very important message this morning, which we should all hear and listen to and adhere to. Some of you this morning will be hearing these things for the very first time. You might be asking your question. Well, I, uh, the question, I just gave my life to the Lord. What, did it, what is it to be a Christian? What's it like being a Christian? Some of you may have been a Christian for a long time this morning. And you might be asking yourself, am I doing what a Christian should be doing? What should I be doing as a Christian? And we're going to briefly explain these to you this morning. I'm going to go into 15 things that a Christian is and what a Christian should be doing. And I would like for you to write these down, maybe scriptures too, and take them home. And begin to fashion your life after these characteristics of a Christian. The number one characteristic of a Christian is that of a new birth. Unlike any other religion in the United States or in the world, Christianity stands above any other because of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and made it possible that we get born again. You'll remember that Jesus came to Nicodemus and he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So in other words, Jesus... The one who started Christianity from the Father said, except you be born again. And then he went on to say, as he was talking to Nicodemus, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, in John chapter 3, verse 5. In other words, you not only need to be born of the water or born from your parents, but you also need to be born from God. Amen. See, when you're born into the world, you're living in sin because of Adam's sin that has come up through time, through mankind. And when you're born of your parents, of the flesh, you're still living in your sin. You have a sin nature about you. But Jesus told Nicodemus that he not only needed to be born of his parents, of the flesh, but he needed to be born of the water, of the Spirit of God. In other words, that dead spirit that was down inside of him needed to be born again. He needed to be spiritually regenerated. That sin needed to be done away with. In other words, his spirit needed to be able to be made 100% whole. And when Jesus came and died upon that cross and defeated that sin that was in control of our life and that death that was taking us to hell. When he went down into that grave and defeated that turkey, the devil, and resurrected up into the kingdom of God and gave life to all mankind and poured out his Holy Ghost, it made it possible for us to be born again. Amen. 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 To be born spiritually, not only physically, not only fleshly, not only from our parents, but to be born again. 
because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 23, that being born not of corruptible seed, which is that old corruptible seed that was living in us due to Adam, but being born of that incorruptible seed, which liveth and abideth forever. See, we need to be born of that corrupt, incorruptible seed of God so that we can live and abide forever, live that life eternal. See, we need to be born again. And let me state that when you're born again, your spirit is made 100% whole. Jesus just, just didn't come and resurrect 50%. He just didn't come and bring you into a born-again experience 75%. He came and recreated you and made you a new creation 100%. Glory to God. Amen. You have one nature, and that's the nature of God. Peter said that we have been given the divine nature of God. You say, well, Charles, what do I hear about this two-nature thing? Well, where the two-nature is, you have a battle against the flesh and the spirit in your mind. And that's point number two of Christianity. You need to grow. You need to grow. See, over in the book of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envying and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you might grow thereby. See, after you're born again and recreated in your spirit and become a new creation, then you need to begin to lay aside all this evil speaking and hypocrisy and malice and guile and begin to grow by the Word of God to take in the sincere milk of the Word. Just as a baby is born in the flesh and in its parents, from its parents, it has to come into the world and it has to take in milk and begin to grow. Well, after you're born of God, you have to begin to grow. Not spiritually in your spirit, because that's what's been born again, but you have to begin to grow in your thinking process. And in your mind, your mind has to be renewed by the Word of God, as Paul said. Peter also said in 2 Peter 3.18 that we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we become a Christian and get born again, and begin to take in the sincere milk of the word and begin to grow, Peter says that we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brother, we need to begin to grow in the grace of God. We need to begin to grow in what Jesus Christ did for us at Calvary. We need to begin to recognize that we are resurrected, living, new, born-again Christians, spiritually. We are born-again people, and now we need to live as born-again people in the, living, in the kingdom of God, serving God 100%. And the way we do this is go to His Word and begin to get into His Word and find out what your born-again experience is all about. A lot of us don't have knowledge of what we should be doing as a born-again Christian. A lot of us don't have knowledge of His Word. His Word came and set us free and gave us liberty. His Word came and brought salvation, Jesus Christ. His Word goes forth through us now and gives life to a sick mind that we have. And as we get into the Word of God, it renews our mind to begin to think along the lines of the way God thinks. And God sees us as 
born-again Christians because we believe in his Son. God sees us as regenerated men of God. And now we need to begin to see ourselves as regenerated men of God. We need to begin to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to begin to get into his word and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to begin to think the word and believe the word. And brother, it'll set us free. Amen? Amen. So we said this morning thus far that we need to be born again. And I think most of us in here are born again today. And then we need to begin to grow by renewing our mind to what our born-again experience is all about. And then thirdly, we need to begin to take on a new dress, a new dress about us. How many of you are married in here? If you're not married, you know what a wedding is all about. Over in Isaiah chapter 61, it tells us about a bride and a bridegroom. I'm sure many of you have seen beautiful brides. They go down to the store and they get them a big, nice dress with a long trail on the back of it. And they get married. They get decked out like they've never been decked out before. And then all of a sudden, here comes this groom with these ruffles down his shirt, black tucks on, and a big flower up here. You know, he's really decked out and ready to get married, isn't he? Well, I just brought that out for you to be able to see what that groom and what that bride normally live like and how they normally dress. And look at the difference of the way they dress when they get married. There's a big difference there, isn't there? This groom, he might normally just wear a regular suit. But when he gets married, he goes and puts on a tuxedo and puts on a flower, puts on ruffles. This bridegroom puts on a big white dress that, that goes... Can you imagine that bride going to the grocery store shopping in a dress like that? Huh? Well, see, she got all decked out. I tell you, when you become a Christian, you go from one kind of dress to another kind of dress. Brother, you get decked out in God's clothes. And here in Isaiah chapter 61, verse number 10, it says, I greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul. My soul shall be joyful in the Lord, for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels glory to God see the Lord has decked us out he has not only given us that born again experience he has not only told us that we need to begin to grow by renewing our mind as newborn babes but he says that now that Life needs to be manifested out here in our life, in our mortal flesh. In other words, people need to begin to see our dress, that it's a God-like dressing. Amen? Amen? That's the garments of Jesus that you wear now because of what he did for you spiritually, because of what he's doing for you mentally by the renewing of your mind. And now people can begin to see it outwardly. In other words, your life becomes radiant, point number four. Number four, a radiant life. A scripture that tells us one of the greatest characteristics of the Christian life that is seen is found in Matthew 5, 16. And from the mouth of Jesus, he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Glory to God. See, it's because of this born-again experience, point number one, that we brought out a new birth. That's why we can do anything that would glorify God today because we've been born again. Our old nature has changed into a new nature. 
Point number two, we've been growing since we got born again. We've been renewing our mind. Begin to think like God thinks so that born again experience can begin to come outwardly. Point number three, and so you can put on your new dress. And point number four, have a radiant life. Amen? Amen. And let people see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And then point number five is a character building. A character building. Brother, when you begin to walk with a radiant life, people know that you're founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 7, it tells us two ways that we can fashion our life. We can fashion our life upon the rock, which is Jesus, or we can fashion our life upon the sand, which is Satan. If you fashion it upon Jesus Christ and become born again and get into the Word of God and renew your mind, put on your new dress and begin to live a radiant life, brother, you're on the rock. But brother, if you reject Jesus Christ and not get born again, go on serving the lust of your mind, begin to put out all that darkness of your life and wear your old slouchy clothes around and drag around here low riding and all that kind of garbage, brother, you're on the sand and you're heading for hell. It's just that simple. But it all starts right here where you're living today. Right here where you're living today. Are you living today? Or are you a walking dead man? It all starts with you making a decision today. Are you fashioning your life upon the rock or are you fashioning your life upon the sand? You're going to have to make that decision. If you're a Christian, you fashion your life upon the rock. And it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. I'm ministering the word of God today. If you go away doing these sayings today, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. The rain descendeth, the floods come, the winds blow and beat upon that house. Oh, Satan can come and beat upon that house that's made upon a rock all day long. But it won't fall. It was founded upon a rock. But who that heareth these words today and doeth them not is a foolish man because he built his house upon the sand. The floods come, the winds blow and beat upon him, and great was the fall of that house. Brother, you can't stand unless you build your house upon that solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. And the first thing to do is to get born again. Amen. Renew your mind with the word of God. Put on that new dress. Let your life be radiant. Put on that Christian character, that character building which is upon a rock and begin to have fellowship, point number six, with Jesus Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead in the book of Luke, chapter 24, verse number 32, the men that saw him who didn't even know he was Jesus said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Brother, when you begin to walk with Jesus, your heart will begin to burn. Brother, life has come inside of you. The scriptures will begin to open up to you. And as it says over in 1 John 1, 3, which is a great scripture on fellowship, that which we have seen and heard and declare unto you that 
ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with Jesus Christ the Son. Brother, when you come into a fellowship and a communion with Jesus Christ, you have communion and fellowship with God, but not only with God, it causes us to have fellowship and communion with one another. Fellowship with one another. Fellowship with God. Fellowship with Jesus Christ, letting the love of God flow. I had fellowship with the devil all my life, and I'm seeing and sowing the, uh, reaping the benefits of it right now. But now I've got fellowship with God, and I'm beginning to reap the benefits of having fellowship with God now. And you are too, glory to God. Next, a characteristic of the Christian life is a sonship. John 1.12 says, But as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become sons of God, even to them that believed upon his name. Brother, when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he rose from the dead and that he took that dead life out of you and put a new life through the power of the Holy Ghost, when you believe that and receive that into your life, he gave you the legal right and the authority to become sons of the living God. Glory to God. You're as much of the Son of God today through being born of the Spirit of God as you are a son of your father, your earthly father, who you were born into the flesh with. Glory to God. See, you're a son of your spiritual father. You're a son of your earthly father, but you're born again now. You're a son of the living God. Glory to God. Amen. Another characteristic of the Christian life is an education. When you become a Christian, you start going to school. Just as much as you start going to school in the flesh and taking up secular education, you now start to school in the spirit and begin to take on spiritual education. It's the spiritual life. In John 8, 31, it says... If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. See, you have to continue in the word. When you get born again, you continue in the word. Begin to renew your mind. Begin to educate yourself. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When you come into the knowledge of the truth that Jesus Christ set you free, set you free from sin, set you free from death, set you free from all the results of that sin and death, when you come into the knowledge of that and when you begin to put your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the truth, glory to God, you'll be walking in freedom and liberty and you'll be running around saying, I'm free indeed, glory to God, because the Son set me free. Amen. Brother, it's an education. Paul said in 2 Timothy, Timothy 2.15 that we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. Study to show ourselves approved unto God. I don't have to prove myself to you. I have to study to show myself approved unto God. A workman, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Brother, some of us going to be ashamed when that trumpet blows and goes up there to be with the Father. Not supposed to be ashamed at His coming. It's an education. Number nine, it's a warfare. A warfare. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 12, Paul says to fight the good fight of faith. 
Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. In other words, we're to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. You know, it doesn't say go out and fight the devil. Jesus did that. See, Jesus came and won the war over the, over the devil. He got the victory over the devil. It don't say fight the devil here. It says fight the good fight of faith. When you fight the good fight of faith, listen to me. You're putting your faith in what Jesus Christ did. And when you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did, you're fighting the good fight of faith. You fight the devil with faith. You fight the devil with what Jesus did. You can't go out and get victory over him yourself. You've got to bank on what Jesus Christ did. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. Oh, the book, book of Ephesians, which is one of the most common warfare chapters that we could get into. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Be strong in the power of his might, of Jesus' might. The power of the resurrection. Be strong in that power. Have faith in that power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, it takes the armor of God. It takes faith in Jesus Christ. It takes meeting the devil with Jesus, not with your own power. Put on the armor of God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You don't wrestle against bullets and arrows and army tanks. But we fight against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world. Against spiritual wickedness in the high places. Those are demons, my brother. Demons are coming at you. It says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Brother, this day's evil like never before. And having done all to stand, stand with your loins girded about with truth, your breastplate of righteousness, your feet shrouded with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and taking the shield of faith, whereas you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. And the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always, glory to God. You put on Jesus Christ. You put your faith in Jesus. You hit the devil with the Word of God when he comes at you and tries to tell you the lie. You tell him the truth. You tell him that Jesus Christ has set you free. Glory to God. It's a warfare. Paul also says over in the book of 2 Corinthians, Chapter 10, verse number 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. In other words, we can't fight the devil with carnal weapons, but we fight him through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How did God fight the devil? He sent Jesus and destroyed death and destroyed sin in our life. We put our faith in that. He goes on to say to cast down every imagination and every high thing that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Brother, the devil will try to come and exalt himself against the knowledge that you have in the resurrection of Jesus. He'll try to come up to you and say, oh, you know, Jesus didn't really destroy me. You know? He'll come up and try to let you know that he has all the power still. But you're to cast down all those imaginations, those things that the devil would try to put into your mind and bring every thought, bring every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Put every thought into the Word of God and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 
Get obedient to the Word of God. Begin to put your faith in what Jesus did in destroying the works of the devil. Put on the full armor of God. Be a soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of soldiers aren't fighting today. Why? Because they're standing with their country. You don't see the Russian soldiers fighting that much. They're just putting all their faith in the country, in the bombs. Amen? See, we're not out fighting that much and doing the battle. Jesus did the battle. We put our faith in what Jesus Christ did. It's a warfare. Point 10, being a Christian is a service. A service. A service. It's a witness. It's a witness. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. They do good, good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. We're to serve one another, serve God. And the best service that you can be to another person today is to go and deliver them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be a witness to them. Peter said, or, or Jesus said, and you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. We receive the Holy Ghost from the Father so that you can go forth and be a service to those that are not saved. Walk in love in the body of Christ and be a service to others in the body of Christ. Being a Christian and a characteristic of a Christian is a walk. In the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 6, it says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, you've received him, it says, so walk ye in him. Walk in Christ. Do the things of Jesus. Walk as Jesus would have you to walk. Walk in his power. You really want to learn what a Christian walked like? Go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 and 6, 4 to 6, 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, and learn about what Paul talks about. He says that we're to walk worthy, walk in unity. We're to walk in holiness and love, walk in the light, walk in wisdom, walk in praise, walk circumspectively, walk in harmony. He tells you how to walk in the book of Ephesians. He tells you what you are as a Christian in Ephesians 1 to 3, and then he tells you how to walk from Ephesians 4 to 6. Go to the book of Ephesians and learn how to walk. Being a Christian is a race, point number 12. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, lay us, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Brother, you're not only walking, but you're running a race with your Christian life. Amen? Running a race. Looking unto Jesus, it says, the author and the finisher of our faith. As you walk in Christ, you have to keep running and looking to Jesus all at the same time and let him finish off your life. Let him curtake your life in every area. Paul says over in 2 Corinthians, which you should mark down and read later on at home tonight, or 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24, it says, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. Brother, you need to run in this Christian race that you may obtain a prize. 
Glory to God. Just as, as you used to run maybe when you entered into a track meet and run for a badge or some kind of ribbon, blue ribbon, you need to now run to receive a prize. It says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but an incorruptible crown. You're running to obtain an incorruptible crown for this incorruptible life that you're running now as a Christian. You're running a race. Glory to God. Running towards Jesus. Being a Christian, point 13, is a sacrifice. Giving even though you might not think you have to give. A sacrifice. Paul said in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your life as a living sacrifice unto God. A lot of us, we sacrificed our life before becoming a Christian to idols, all kinds of idols. Brother brought out yesterday that he, that he sacrificed himself to the, to the liquid idol. Amen? To booze. Amen? Idols. What kind of idol are you sacrificing your life to today? You need to sacrifice it unto God. Paul says, a living sacrifice. While you're here living, sacrifice your life unto God. Point 14, we have a victory. Christians walk in victory. And in 1 John chapter 5, Verse 4, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth in Jesus Christ? Brother, when you're believing in Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary, that he resurrected and destroyed the works of the devil, when you're putting your faith in that, brother, you're walking in victory. Not your victory, but his victory that he gave to you, which is now your victory. Glory to God. Amen. You're walking in victory, putting your faith in Jesus. And lastly, 15, a characteristic of a Christian is an assurance of eternal life. Brother, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Brother, you're not going to hell. You're going to heaven eternally, everlasting life. You can be assured of that if you believe in Jesus Christ. But now Jesus says that we need to continue in his word. See, we need to continue. Where are you today with the Lord? Where do you meet up today with these characteristics that we've put up on the overhead projector? I hope you've written them down. Go home and examine yourself and see if you really meet the qualifications of a Christian. Used to be a saying going around that if you were taken to court, and the judge was to try to prove, or the district attorney were to try to prove that you're a Christian. Would there be enough evidence in your life to prove that you're a Christian?